and welcome to the Embodied Life Coaching Podcast with me, Louise Lewis. I am a mindset and body-based life coach specialising in helping people understand and resolve the deep-seated patterns that hold them back from having a life that looks and feels extraordinary. Through a series of solo episodes and conversations with guest experts, I will explore how incorporating bodywork, whether that be somatic-based exercises, biology and cellular health, or nervous system healing, is an essential addition to your personal development work. If you are familiar with therapy, coaching, or counseling, and feel like there's been a missing piece of the puzzle, keep listening, because the bodywork and nervous system pieces may be it. I can't wait to share these life-changing materials with you. It's time to live a full life from a place where you are deeply connected to your mind, body, and soul. Get ready. Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast. This week I have a fantastic guest with me, Lucy Maeve. Um, And Lucy is, in fact I'm going to let Lucy introduce herself, but Lucy is just an amazing human being. I think that's what I want to start with. I first spoke to Lucy two or three years ago now as she was going through her corporate to coach transition and some of the, the work that she's been doing in the coaching personal development space is just really really impressive and um so I've, I've got Lucy on today because I want us to talk about the importance of safety um in the spaces that we work in um but I've also got Lucy on because she is the breathwork facilitator in my address and unlock program um and I don't know, people that know me well probably know that I, I'm not big on um, recommending people or, or putting people out there because I don't think a lot of people work in integrity. Lucy does. Um, so I'm absolutely delighted to have her on the podcast. I'm absolutely delighted that she works with me in my programme. And I'm absolutely delighted for her to share some of her wisdom today. So Lucy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I feel so validated by your introduction. <laughs> Be validated. <laughs> I also am stealing your your corporate to coaching, corporate to coach transition. I like that language. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. So, um, is there anything else that you want to add in just at this point? A little bit about who you are and what you do before we kind of kick off. Yeah, so I can give a very brief introduction. So we we share a lot of our history in a way. So I spent rather than law, I spent ten years in banking, so on the trading floor, and then. Um, to be honest, for quite a while, I knew it wasn't right for me, but it took me quite a while to unpick why it wasn't right for me and to get the courage to leave. Um, so I left in 2020 and went through quite a deep personal development journey over that period. So probably from like 2018 um, until I left and that continues onwards. And the work that I do is really it's the depth of coaching that you often miss in certain spaces. So it's moving into a space of really looking at why we are the way we are um, and unpicking the pieces which are not authentic to us so that people can actually start living from a space of truth rather than from conditioned patterns which keep us in spins and in spaces that we don't want to be in, basically. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and the other thing that we have in common, which I didn't realise until yesterday, I looked at your LinkedIn profile, and you know what LinkedIn said to me? Lucy also went to the University of Bristol, but after you. It was like LinkedIn being like, you're old. 
<laughs> I didn't realize that you went to Bristol. I did. I did. Did you study law? Yeah. Yeah, love that. Yeah, but before you, before you went. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they specify that. I know. I've never noticed that before. Um. So if we kind of get into the topic, so the reason why I asked Lucy to come on the podcast was, um, obviously, Lucy is a breast facilitator, mm. part of the work that she does. It's not by any means all of the work that she does. Um, and I have done some breath work myself um, on a couple of retreats last year. Mm. And honestly, I can't exactly remember how it was in the first one. But the second one, for me... Um, was a really, really good example of being in a space where people are at the front telling you what a safe space it is. Mm. Actually, the experience was not safe. Now, I felt that I could keep myself safe because of the skills and the knowledge that I've got. But I was surrounded by a relatively large group of people, mm. of which were, and I don't think I'm overstating this, being traumatised or re-traumatised by the space and the work that we were doing in this, like, arguably, this is a safe space place. Um, so what I thought it would be really useful to explore from a breath perspective, but also more widely is, what do we mean when we say a safe space? What does a safe space mm. look like? How can practitioners ensure that the spaces they offer are actually safe? And what do people going into these spaces need to know or ask or think about so that, you know, they go somewhere to do their healing and they actually get to do some healing rather than experience something that is is more damaging. Mm. Yeah. It's such an important, it's such an important piece because I've had some experiences recently which have shown me the depth of like the lack of integrity that exists in our industry and it really scares me because a lot of people that are looking for support and looking for coaches or healers or whatever it might be they're outsourcing their power a lot of the time so there's this sense of like this person is an authority they must know what they're doing therefore i'll just trust them to take me into this practice um and i feel like that's kind of being taken advantage of in a lot of spaces um, and really, to your point, has the potential, especially when you're working in somatic spaces, like with breath, of re-traumatizing people. Um, yeah, so it's a beautiful topic, and I think it's a really, really important one to discuss and yeah. dive into. So I wonder if it's useful for maybe me to share some of the experience that I had, and then we can talk about that. And then if you feel that you want to share any of your experiences, we can kind of do the same mm. thing. Um, and then sort of maybe we pepper in about like how might we do it differently so the the breath retreat that I did the first session um we were the, the group was asked so first of all it was a group of 19 in a mm. in a face-to-face -face setting and we were asked if there was anyone that would like to volunteer for um to have their breath analyzed right that was that was the explanation there was no prior explanation of what to expect to the breath session now I'd done breath work before I consider myself a bit of a seasoned aficionado of personal development stuff so mm. I was like I love my breath animals so I went to the front of the class and then kind of everyone was encouraged or invited to like come and sit around me and what actually happened 
was a like full on breathwork experience. Mm. So yes, sort of I got into doing the breathing, but it was very quickly like there was acupressure used to, to push in mm. the breathing. There was like acupressure on my heart of like breathe into your heart. Why is your heart closed? Like it's safe to you to feel like very much like pushing towards like really getting into the experience. Now my mm. body is primed and ready to go. Like I don't need a lot of forcing to release my emotions. I'm like, I've done that work. I am there. So mm. I had a really big release. Like there were tears, mm. screamed, like really like sore throat scream. Um, and I really let myself go through this process. But there'd been no thing at the start of like you know what is an analysis of breath because I just assumed mm. it was like am I breathing into my diaphragm properly yeah not I like, mean that's what I would assume yeah not like we're going to take you through this whole process and then what transpired later was a lot of the people in the group who all <laughs> didn't know what to expect were mm. deeply disturbed by what they'd seen yeah like it brought a lot of stuff up from them a lot of them weren't in a place where they we're comfortable with their own emotions, let alone seeing somebody else. Yeah. And it's interesting the number of people that came to me, like really quite concerned about me. Like, was I in a mm. really dark place? Like, was I really bad? Like, how was I really worried about me? Like, you were so brave to do that, but like, but are you okay? Mm. Now, from my place, I'm like, no, I think it's really healthy that I can access those emotions. But they mm. were completely freaked out. Yeah. Um. So yeah, discuss. That was my experience. It's it's really interesting because I we talked about this experience that you had probably a few months ago, and I actually I was at a retreat this weekend, and the facilitators decided to lead a breath journey, and I knew as soon as they started that I was like, I don't think these people have even trained in breath work, um, and similar to what you were sharing, they paired people up. Um, so within the retreat, they paired us up and one person would breathe and the other person would be the space holder. So to me, in my mind, I was like, alarm bells are ringing. The, the reason that they're doing this is because they don't think they can hold the space themselves. Mm. Like, why are they asking other participants to be holding space for a breather? Um, but to the point you made, a lot of people were having very deep releases and were crying and screaming and various things were coming up. And the other participants who were witnessing or apparently space holding, despite having no space holding training at all, were suddenly thrown into this space of like, what on earth is going on? And there are two pieces here that to me, it's a slightly different experience than one that you had, but in what I witnessed on the weekend is like, one, it can be really traumatizing for the person witnessing because they are not necessarily used to their own emotionality, especially if they haven't done very much of this work. The other piece is like, if someone is having a deep release, if a man is having a deep release and a woman is witnessing it, it can bring up a whole load of stuff for them, um, which can be really, really traumatizing as a space holder. Like I've seen people training in breath and witnessing certain journeys has been very, very challenging for them. And the other piece, which is interesting, is that having a space holder who hasn't trained in breath work for the breather is dangerous because this gets slightly into like the meta but the reality is that you're creating a space with someone when you're facilitating that type of practice um and the space is hugely influenced by the, the people in it 
So if you have someone that is space holding for you, sitting next to you, that is panicking because you're crying or screaming, as a breather, you feel that panic. And you're in a really, really deep space in that practice. And when you're in that deep space, it has huge implications for your nervous system. If someone next to you is freaking out at you crying. Um, so I, I actually ended up writing to the facilitators of the retreat because I was like, this is hugely out of integrity and you shouldn't be doing this. Um, but it really did bring up a lot for me around the importance of safety in these practices. And actually, to even if these people hadn't trained in it, but a lot of people that have trained in it still are doing things like the experience that you had, which to me are not trauma informed. Yeah. Yeah. And the importance with... In the importance of ensuring that the work we do is trauma-informed is because the vast majority of people, I would argue everyone, but we'll just go with the vast majority of people, mm. have experienced trauma, something that was too much, too fast, too soon, or not enough for too long at some point in their lives. Mm. So we need to be mindful of it. Mm. Exactly. And to that point, and there was already red, I mean, that was a red flag enough, but then, then another red flag when I was there as well was, the the speed at which um mouth breathing was encouraged and I knew because I'd already spoken to you that actually breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth is fine but in through the mouth out through the mouth mm. is again dysregulating for the nervous system should be avoided mm. exactly and there's a big piece around like or to your point around the nervous system is like and this this works in talking work it works in somatic work like across the board if you are looking to heal the nervous system needs to be in the parasympathetic so obviously the nervous system being made up of these two different sections one of them being fight flight response the other one being rest and restore and the parasympathetic is obviously the rest and restore one and we really need to be in that space of rest and restore, which is basically the body believing that it's safe, that like as an animal, we're not about to be attacked by some predator, like we're in a safe space in order for us to be able to access the deeper stuff. And often what happens in breath specifically, because there's this obsession with mouth breathing, is you're actually putting the body into a stress response. And when the body's in a stress response, like some, you, you can have emotional releases, sure, like it can, it still has the same effect, you're still breathing more deeply, it's still going to bring up some stuff, but you're not going to have the same depth of healing because the body is in, basically believes that it's about to be attacked. Um, so from an emotional healing perspective, you're never going to be able to get as deep because understandably the body's like i'm not going to go into that stuff right now because there's a predator around the corner yeah. and the other piece is that this is very specific to breath is that there's a big piece in breath work around using the practice the, the practice that i work with anyway using the practice to regulate the nervous system mm -hmm. so because so many people as you mentioned are dysregulated because of the way that we work breath can be a really powerful way of encouraging people into the parasympathetic because you're breathing in a way that supports parasympathetic activation. And if you're forcing people into the sympathetic nervous system through really fast breathing or mouth breathing, you're actually just exacerbating their dysregulation. Like I had an experience, this experience at the retreat on the weekend, they were, they were using a nose breath to be fair, but they were breathing incredibly fast, like hyperventilation type breathing. And I had some form of experience, but it kind of felt like a surface level weird thing. 
Um, and then at the end of the practice, I could, because I'm relatively nervous system aware in my own body, I could feel that I was so dysregulated. So I ended up having to do my own like alternate nostril breathing, trying to bring my nervous system back down into a space of calm. And what I noticed from the other people in the retreat was a lot of them came out of that practice with like terrible headaches, were feeling like exhausted, like really spaced out, like not able to ground because they were in this like almost like they've had like 12 coffees. Um, and we're trying to heal. We're not trying to like pet people up so that they can, I don't know, go and run a marathon or whatever. Um, it just seems crazy to me that there isn't more nervous system awareness. Yeah. in the breast space specifically yeah and as you're saying that I noticed a similar thing so I found myself activated after a session and then we would mm. all go into a meal together and everyone would be very activated together yeah. and I think the first night my sleep was so bad and I was like I mm. need to do this differently tomorrow and then the next night I actually took myself into sort of like the quiet room to eat on my own so I could just come mm. back down again um and I actually left the retreat early because I was like, I can't be, I can't be in this space. Like my mm. body was like been very clear. <laughs> like it's like it's like you can get the benefit, you can get the benefit from the sessions. That's fine, but mm. you need to limit the time around the people. And it, you know, and it was just so interesting. And and for me, it was just such an eye opener of how important it is to choose very carefully the spaces that you put yourself in. Yeah. You know, in, in a retreat context, in a breath context, but also then in the context of, of the people that we work with, right? Mm. If you're, if you are looking up to someone and they're talking about how many times they've been ill in the last year or how they don't sleep or how they're managing their anxiety and they might talk about you know I've got this terrible anxiety and all of this stuff's going on and this is how I manage it it's like it's just been a little bit it's not to say that that you shouldn't work with people that ever have anxiety but it's just been a little bit curious about well mm. what's what's going on with that person mm what's driving them and what then might be driving them when they're mentoring and telling you how to, to do your things mm. if that's the underlying if that's the underlying place that their nervous system is in and I think that's yeah. an interesting one as well and it's hard to tell because some people are very good at marketing <laughs> yeah there are like there's a piece around marketing and making people making things look beautiful and whatever and there's also a piece in breath specifically where mouth breathing sells because mouth breathing gives people an experience very quickly so they'll have like i noticed this on the, the retreat on the weekend people are like wow this thing was crazy like breathing blah, 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 had these huge releases and then felt terrible afterwards because there was no integration but there's an experience so it's like, oh, I had this amazing experience. So I'm going to go back to this person. Yeah. Whereas often in the type of breath that I work with, some people don't have an experience. Some people have very, very deep experiences. But often when someone has a dysregulated nervous system, the first thing that will happen is the body's like, thank God, I'm in the parasympathetic. I'm just going to chill here. Like, finally, I can do some of the restorative stuff that I need to do to, like, heal the body physically. So it doesn't have always the same like wow i feel like i'm having this crazy oxygen high and this crazy release and all this stuff which is addictive 
it's this real sense of like I'm we're like chasing these highs of healing um but actually oftentimes healing is like a gentle unwinding it isn't always these huge explosions that can happen when we're in a dysregulated space yeah which I think is also really important for people to know like in a breath session but also just generally in general context like th- there isn't necessarily this big goal each session or each like breath session coaching session to be like let's push for some like great big thing it's like no like the body's in a process and we want to follow mm. that process mm. and the other thing that popped up when you said that um as well is the the one of the things that other people brought up a lot on the retreat that I was on was was basically this resistance of like I don't want to go there because I feel mm. like if I go there like there's so much stuff that's there mm. and if I come undone how do I put myself back together again mm. right and so again and and this for me I think is a what do we look for in the safe spaces what's the aftercare protocol what is the this is what you might expect this is what might happen mm. um, this is the support that's available afterwards mm. and also a, I was going to say a reassurance that the body won't go anywhere that it doesn't want to go but in those spaces you kind of enforce it might well this is another like there are two different pieces there like there's definitely a, in a lot of breathwork spaces like I in the work that I do and what I was trained in even when I'm working in an in-person space it is very non-intervention focused so the only time that I would touch a breather when they're in process, so they're not in the like Shavasana section of the journey, is if they're stuck in a trauma response. And that is very, very rare. Um, but in a lot of breath practices, and this happened on the weekend, facilitators will come over and like suddenly just basically jump on a breather and like press into their solar plexus really hard or often in for women, like into the womb space, which is incredibly sensitive. Um, which to your point can end up releasing things earlier than the body is ready to release. Um, so then you can end up in these spaces which are quite hard to process and to integrate. So that's the reason why I'm like really anti-touch because I think it pushes people too soon and actually often the body will just unwind things when it's ready to. Yeah. Love the seagulls, can you hear them in the background? I was wondering um, what that noise was. <laughs> I don't know, what like I thought you were like you sound like you're on safari. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Cape Town and there were suddenly lots of seagulls outside, but they've gone now. Um, and then the other piece, which is always missing, unless well, very very rarely is there, is the context for the practice, mm. like some form of introduction of like what we're doing, what the purpose of it is, what you might experience, what you might experience physically, emotionally, like basically what we're doing often what i've noticed is people just say oh we're doing breath practice this is how you breathe lie down off we go yeah that's what i like that can be absolutely terrifying for people um and i remember interestingly when i was doing my training i used to get a bit like my teacher was so thorough and there was a part of me that was like do we really need all this stuff like really and now i am so grateful because I see so many facilitators just like getting people to lie down and just start breathing really deeply. And then they go into tetany, which is that really like cramped up hands or cramped up jaw, or they have like a huge emotional release. And then they end up feeling almost like violated by the practice. because they're like, I don't really, I didn't know that I was going into that. Um, Which is hugely, hugely unsafe, really. And it's hugely lacking in integrity. 
um, to put people into that without letting them know and also getting some form of history from breathers before they go into the practice like what are they holding like what what what's that what have they experienced in life that could come up um because not everyone is the candidate for breath and that seems to be sometimes forgotten it's just like sure anyone can do it it's like well no in the same way that not everyone can do plant medicine journeys um it's not the right practice for a lot of people and so if you were going to and like let's start with Beth but then we can expand it if you were going to mm. give her like a checklist of what people should be looking for and I know like we actually had a little bit of an exchange on Instagram about this yesterday or the day before and um, but if you were going to give people like a checklist yeah what would you say for breath specifically any facilitator should have a contraindications list yeah. So should know who is and isn't a candidate for the practice. Um, they should also be getting you to sign some form of waiver um, so that you can see all of the potential risks of the practice. There should be an intake form so that you they know if you're holding anything that they should be aware of. Um, and they also, this is like super basic, you'd think that most people could explain, but apparently they can't often. Like explain why they're using a specific type of breath that they're using. Like if a facilitator can't explain to you why they use the rhythm of breath that they do or the type of breath like nose or mouth, to me, that is cause for concern. It's like if, if you're teaching breath, you should probably know why you're using the breath that you're using. Um, those are just the really, really basic pieces that to me seem like paramount for any facilitator. Yeah, and I don't know because obviously I don't live in the heads of like the entire population of the world, but I imagine there's a, a perception of, but it's just breath. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me? Like it's just breathing. What do I really need? No, I think like a, a participant. Yeah. But actually, it's a really, really powerful modality that does it is. you to a deeper level and needs yeah. to be facilitated properly. And this is the pieces that I've mentioned. This is for anyone that is doing sessions with a circular breathing pattern. So like a connected breathing pattern, obviously if you're doing pranayama or any kind of like gentle breath through yoga or whatever, that doesn't require the same amount of due diligence, but any practice, which is like taking you into altered states of consciousness because of increased oxygenation levels needs to have clear due diligence. Um, and I think because the practice is becoming more and more popular, a lot of people are cussing corners and the thing that like this really worried me this weekend is that there are a lot of people that have trained in yoga or have trained in some other thing maybe have experienced breath to do a few times and have decided that they can teach it because the practice in itself is not complicated but it's a very nuanced practice to facilitate um so i mean i don't think people should be fearful to, to ask like who did you train with and um, because i i didn't expect this to be happening, but it seems that there are people facilitating the practice without any kind of qualification. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing as well, isn't it? It's like it's taking this stuff seriously because yeah. we do live in an in an unregulated world. Yeah, the coaching industry, all of this stuff is unregulated, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But at the same time, it does mean that there is there is a responsibility on all of us to just be careful. Mm. Exactly. And this isn't like let's bash the personal development industry. No. But 
there's going to be people that aren't in integrity and don't really know what they're doing looking mm. at this of like oh this is a great way to make money because I just lie there for a while or sit exactly. there for a while and tell people like to lie there and breathe mm. and it's and it's and I think the thing as well is it's that's all well and good it's not but it's all well and good in theory until like you say someone goes into a trauma response or someone experiences testing which for mm. people that don't know is like your hands or feet or things cramping up mm. um and you know, and and if someone has been told in advance, it's really, really normal for your hands to cramp. But they can be like, "Oh, my hands are cramping." Otherwise, yeah. what is it? Exactly, exactly. And there's also a piece in around like the processing of the journey afterwards, which I think is also often missed. Of like some really deep stuff can happen for people in breath. And I've had experiences facilitating when I always do a sharing circle at the end where people can share their experience if they feel that they want to. And I've had people share some really deep things in those spaces that have come up for them. And if you don't have any form of training of how to like hold people in very, very deep, very delicate spaces, it can actually be quite that da- in the same way as in a coaching space it can be damaging to the person if they share something that is really vulnerable that has come up for them and the facilitator goes thank you for sharing it's like huge vulnerability dropping and yeah. can basically that is like reforming the wound that happened as a child of not being heard um So there's also this piece of which is very, very prevalent in the coaching space and talking work of like, can the facilitator hold the depth of what's going to come up? Yeah. Yeah, And and the phrase that I always, always apply is remembering that we can only take a person as deep as we have been willing to go ourselves. Mm. So I think that's another thing as well of like, what work have the people that you are going to work with done? Mm exactly like where were they at because there are and I remember like I did a year coaching diploma it was the first thing I did there were loads of people in that group were like yeah but I don't need coaching I won't have coaching it's like okay that's great that's like that's your choice Mm. and also that's going to have an impact Mm. it's really in the coaching space I find it really interesting because obviously more and more people are coming into the coaching world to become coaches. Um, And a lot of people are selling this idea of like, I'm an amazing coach and I can take you from here to here. And like, it is a very shiny pitch to people. Um, And sometimes it can work. Like sometimes people don't need to do a lot of deep work or whatever, but oftentimes it's a bit of an empty promise. And people can come away from those types of programs with a really like sour taste in their mouth because it's like, well, I didn't get that. And the reason that I didn't get the result is because there's all of this deeper stuff going on for me that you haven't touched on. Um, Like humans are much more complicated than just being given like a goal list and let's take some steps towards the goal. Um, And a lot of the coaching industry is really focused on that, especially in the corporate space. Um, and it can work, but it's like, do you want to be like dragged along or do you want to be like just naturally led? Yeah. And you can be dragged along by people and you might get the result. But my guess is at the end of the program, when you stop doing the work, that everything will just go back to how it was before. 
Yeah, because it's the surface level. But the yeah. thing that people are so, or can be quite resistant around is, the reality is that the end result might be shiny, but the way you get there isn't. No. <laughs> it is not shiny. Um, no. And it's, you know, so one of the things that, that we learn, or that I learn, I know you also are kind of very much trauma-informed and certified and all the rest of it, but, you know, if we have an experience and it sends us, through the sympathetic in a stress response or we have an experience and it overwhelms us and it sends us down into that low dorsal the low like the low parasympathetic and we're mm. in a freeze response when we do the trauma resolution work the way that we get back to safe and social in that aspect is the way we came mm. so so often people go into a dark tunnel and they're like i'm in a dark tunnel and like i need to find the end and it's like yeah but the end is back the way you came so to get back to get back to that kind of life force energy i'm here i'm alive i can breathe i can feel my you know innate power and all of the rest of it the the body has to go back through something and so mm. actually and again and with breath work with coaching with all of it our job is to facilitate that body that person being able to have the resources to go back through that exactly which can take seconds. I've been there on the mm. floor in here. <laughs> mm. But, and I think that's also something that doesn't get talked about enough. No. And it's not like, oh my God, it's awful. And it, the whole thing is going to be awful the whole time. And it's going to be draining and it's going to be terrible. But it's like, but the reality of this work is it's not always rosy and joyful. No. It's worth it. But it's not always rosy and joyful. And the, it's, it's interesting because it is, I, I definitely had this commentary from friends and when I started doing this work of like, why would you want to go into all of that stuff? Like it all sounds so gritty and awful, but the crux of it is like, you're holding it anyway. It's there, like it's in your body. You may not be aware of it, but it's in your body impacting you, impacting your behaviors, impacting how you're feeling, oftentimes impacting you physically. It's like, well, you might as well do the work to like have a look at it. Like either way, it's going to be directing you. So you either choose to look at it and to do the work to explore it in a deep way and free yourself from it, or it will direct your life. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I was a little bit slow coming to that table because I mm. started my coaching career with like, I'm just going to do career coaching. I'm just going to do goals. I'm going to keep it at this level because mm. all of the rest of it feels too difficult. And, the, and this is why it's so important that, that you do the work for yourself. And the more work I did on myself, the more I was like, oh, yeah, that's not going to work. No. Like, you actually have to look at these other, like, what's actually causing these behaviours? What are these, like, what are these symptoms trying to tell me? What's the stuff that sits underneath? Um, and I will say just from personal experience, though, denial can be a really strong thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that self-protection mechanism. And I talk about it a lot. But, you know, the first coach I had recommending trauma books to me and I'm like why is she recommending trauma? <laughs> yeah. I haven't got any trauma I don't get it and now here I am a trauma coach I'm like, I remember the first time someone said to me that they thought that I had trauma and I was like this person is insane like what the hell is she talking about like I had a great childhood I still think a lot of my friends are like is Lucy okay but um yeah I mean it's it's very easy to deny because it's very it's like painful to acknowledge but the truth of it is like every single person on this planet has something yeah yeah 
yeah some of the it's it, it's funny there's like a couple of people in the village and sometimes I have conversations with them and they sort of know what I do and like maybe one of them one of them like follows me on some of social media and I see them and it's almost like they're like you're all right love <laughs> <laughs> it's okay like you can smile <laughs> I just think look I've just brought to the surface and worked through all the stuff that you're burying my love <laughs> I know which of us is healthier yeah <laughs> but it's so hard but it's so hard because actually taking the lid off and being like oh this is actually what's inside is much more difficult than like everything's fine it was all great and um, and I'm just naturally an anxious person who doesn't sleep and that's just my lot in life yeah but at the same time like I had a client recently who was like pretty numb when we started working together. And when she uncovered some of the pieces that had been creating this numbness, like the deep childhood pieces that she'd been completely ignoring, it was obviously incredibly painful for her. But at the same time, it was like, oh my God, I'm actually feeling something. Like yeah. I'm alive. Yes. This feeling is showing me that I am actually alive and I am a human. I'm not just like this like numb, the world is gray this is my experience of life everything is just like monotone it's like i'm i'm experiencing a low which means there must be a high on the other side yeah and that felt sense of i am alive is so so powerful i remember um i don't consider myself particularly visual but i get i get very very visual when i do somatic work mm. and i had this visual of like literally pulling myself out of a vat of tar like dragging myself out of a vat of tar and then getting to this point of like I'm alive and the emotional release from that realization and that breath and that which I kind of see as me almost like pulling myself out of the freeze mm, totally that emotional release of I'm alive I'm a human I'm here like draining as you like but so freeing so freeing and like then honestly the capacity and the difference the next day yeah just insane it's like I sometimes think back to when I was like in my old life and I was a robot like I remember genuinely being like on the tube and sometimes not even remembering like getting on the tube or getting off the tube and somehow ending up at a restaurant to meet someone and I was like how did I get here like what I mean it to me now I'm like it is completely insane I didn't recognize there might be something wrong but I guess because it was mirrored back to me in my echo chamber of like this is just normal and everybody has this experience that's what makes it hard because it actually takes courage to step out of that and be like I refuse to accept this as the norm I refuse to accept that this is the experience of being a human um but once you make that commitment everything starts to change yeah, and I think and this feels like a really nice point to finish it off. I think that is that piece as well, isn't it? It's like, and that was the thing for me as well. It's like, it can't be meant to feel this bad. No. It can't. It can't be meant to feel this bad. And that was actually what led me to the somatic work as well. Because even after doing all the, like, the therapy and the mindset coaching mm. and the rest of it, I was like, but I'm still, <laughs> still not feeling, like, surely it's not meant to feel this bad. No. Um, and it's not. No. it's really not like every listening it's really not meant to feel that bad exactly um, sunday afternoon should not be dread about a monday morning oh god 3 a.m should not be a time of day that you do all your processing because you are awake <laughs> it's like... no no 
and like the panic. I used to like be just about to fall asleep and then we'd wake up in this panic about like life and making plans and being a failure. Oh, just awful. We had to do time recording. So like everything was recorded in six minute chunks. And I used to dream about like the matter numbers that would go into the system. It's like, you know, and it's just like, this isn't helping. No. <laughs> Lucy, I think we could talk for hours, but let, I, I want to be respectful of your time because we've already gone over a little bit. So um, before we wrap up, tell people um, where they can find you, um, how they can work with you. Um, it will yes. also all be in the show notes. I will also add in the show notes some information on the Address and Unlock program that I mentioned before. Um, mm-hmm. the wait list for that for the 2023 goal. Um, can you hear that? Yeah. Like really funny interference, isn't it? Oh, I can't hear any interference. Right. Um, I'm not sure what that is. Um, and yeah, so that will all be in the show notes. And apologies if that noise came through on the thing. And yes, yeah, so Lucy, tell us. Yeah, so the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. And I am Lucy Maeve Puttergill on LinkedIn um, and on Instagram, Lucy underscore underscore Maeve. Um, and I run, if anybody's interested in breath, I run group breath journeys every other week on a Monday night at 7.30 London time. Um, and you are more than welcome to join that. There will be a waiver and a contraindications list that you need to go through before joining. <laughs> um, but it'd be a pleasure to have anyone that wants to join. Um, and then I also work with people one-on-one with a hybrid of both breath and somatic talking work. Brilliant. And so if they want to get in touch with you about that, they should just contact you on LinkedIn or... Yeah, LinkedIn or Instagram is the best bet. Brilliant. All right, Lucy, thank you so much. I think I think you'll need to come on again. <laughs> I think there's many more to be had. So many topics. So many topics. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Right, everybody, have a great week. Um, any questions that you've got from me or Lucy, let either one of us know, and I will see you next.